everybody, and welcome back to the Halo's Heaven podcast, episode number two. And you are joined again by myself, Dominic Lorenz, as well as David Goodkind. The two of us are back for the second episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the first one. You guys downloaded it, listened, and got your angels fixed for the week. But we're back. So much to get into. A 500 road trip, 4-4, four and four, that saw the Angels split a, a mini two-game series with the San Diego Padres, lose two of three to the Houston Astros, and then take two of three from the AL Central first-place leaders, the Chicago White Sox, who are potentially World Series contenders at this point. So 4-4 four and four road trip, not too bad for the Halos. Let's start off with what went on the road trip. David, how are we doing today? Doing really, doing really good. Getting kind of mentally prepared for the end of the season. It's been interesting this whole, this whole year to say the least, but uh, you know, it's, it's weird getting to the end. How, how are you doing on your end? Doing pretty good. You know, we're entering, you know, as we record this, it's Friday, September the 17th, the Angels first of their final homestand of the season, Oakland for three, Houston for four, Seattle for three. And I think it's that point of the year where, if you are not contending for a playoff position, it's bittersweet because you still love baseball, but you know the end is near. And if you're in playoff contention, this is just a, a tune-up for the playoffs. So for the Angels since 2014, this has just been per usual. This is a bittersweet moment, the last 16-plus games of the season. Um, but I really did like what the Angels did on the road trip, they got good pitching highlighted by Alex Cobb yesterday afternoon against the Chicago White Sox returning from the injured list. And even though they only took one of three from the Houston Astros, you saw some good pitching in that series as well. So what can you take away, at least from this recent road trip, on the pitching side of things? We're set for the future. Uh, they are missing a couple pieces. The bullpen needs reworking. But the young guns are legit. And they're going to be fixtures in this rotation for years to come. Uh, guys like Suarez, uh, Berea, when he's on, is is uh, super vital to the team. Uh, if they re- if they end up re-signing Cobb, um, he looked great in in his outing um, yesterday. And uh, you know, there's a lot of upside, and we haven't had that in a long time. And it's kind of depressing to say it, but the rotation really does have have some upside for the first time in in, in maybe a decade. So a lot of bright spots in, in the rotation, at least that I noticed from, from this road trip. Yeah. I know Jansen junk had a, a terrific four and a third innings pitched um, against the Chicago white Sox. And he cut through that heart of the white Sox lineup of Brayu, Jimenez, Luis Robert and company very handedly in a sense. So Jansen junk for a second time out looked pretty good. Cobb as, as we just mentioned, looked great coming back from the injury list. And I got to show a little love to the bullpen a little bit. Uh, game two of the series, Angels just squeaked by the White Sox. And for the first time in a really long time, you saw a clean back into the bullpen. Myers, C-Sheck, and the, of course, the aforementioned hashtag extend Rysel Iglesias, as we mentioned yes. on here on the podcast. Every time we can, Artie, if you're listening, please pay the man the money. But it was so nice to see a seventh, eighth, and ninth inning without any horrible nerves. I know Rysel gave up a hit or so, but Myers and C-Sheck look great. And Iglesias got his 30-second save. So it was really nice to finally see the back end of the bullpen, what we hoped for them early on in the season to go throughout, you know, all 162 games of the season. Right. And and I saw the stat where, you know, the Angels are 61-0 and 0 when trailing after, or when leading after eight innings. 
which is it, it just places so much importance on that setup guy and and getting holds and just getting the opportunity for Rysel to get the save because he's gonna do it. So seeing it when it's finally in action and how relaxed as an Angels fan we can be after the eighth inning is uh, such a weight off our shoulders. And and it, I know it's coming together late, but at least it's coming together at some point. And and I know the the theme of building off of of this finishing going into next season is huge and why the angels really shouldn't tank right now. It's about building momentum and, and having something to, to look back on when we go into spring training and say, Hey, this works, we can keep this going and we can make it better. And so uh, like you, like you mentioned, uh, the bullpen has been much better as of late uh, aside from uh, junior Guerra, but I won't get too much into that. But <laughs> we try to take, bullpen- we try to take the positives every once in a while with our angels bullpen. <laughs> Steve Shishek has been good lately and the guys are, the guys are coming to perform. And, and I love what you talked about with, with, with Jansen junk, the rotation, whatever role he has with the team, if he does have one next season. Uh, first of all, I love his name. Uh, it was really awesome when he was with the, with the trash pandas, the, the, the perfect compliment right there, but no, he's been really, really good um, since being called up and, and, and reliable, which I don't know if any of us predict, I don't know what, what to expect, but uh, that Heaney trade is looking better each day. Yeah, I think, you know, for a lot of Angel fans, it was tough to see Heaney go because he had been such an integral part of the organization for seven-plus seasons, and he was a, a fixture in the Angels' rotation. But to see the return that we're getting in, all three pitchers that the Angels got, um, or maybe not all three pitchers, but I know in the Tony Watson trade to the Giants and the Heaney trade, all the pitchers that we got back, have been utilized at some point this season. Salmon, Marte, now Junk. So you're looking at it now as, well, maybe these trades ended up being a good thing in the future now that we have some perspective right. back from July 30th, now a month and a half plus. But I think what the bullpen's doing right now is giving potentially a good problem for Perry Manassian to look at this upcoming offseason because I don't want to play too much of the what-if game, but let's say C. Sheck and Myers – are more on than they've been this season next season can that be the formidable seventh eighth nine inning I think this is going to be the one problem that angel fans and the angel organization will have to contemplate this offseason is the what-ifs we've seen them have bright spots throughout the year can they hold those bright spots for a full season yes there's going to be ups and downs but we want at least seven or eight out of the ten opportunities to be good ones and only have a blip on the radar in a negative fashion every once in a great while instead of vice versa. Right. So I think the angels have a lot to look forward to. Now here's a fun stat from the road trip four four on the road trip. And you and I were just briefly talking about it before we started the show angels record against division teams. They are 11 and nine against interleague matchups, 16 and 17 against the AL East. 21 and 12 against the AL Central, but here's where the bomb drops. They are 24 and 36 against teams in the AL West. And guess who the Angels play the rest of the way? All AL West teams. Oakland, Houston, Seattle, Texas, Seattle. Briefly, where do the Angels go wrong? And I know this is not the first year this has happened, where the Angels struggle and cannot get out of their own way against AL West teams. If, let's say, five to maybe 10 games are flipped in the other direction, the Angels are potentially battling 
at least closer with the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays for a wild card spot. What is the kryptonite that the Angels just can't get over against their AOS foes? It's hard to pinpoint exactly. It could be a mental thing. It could be the fact that these teams know the Angels better than anyone else and just the frequency. I know Oakland has, is like 12 and four against the Angels this year. It's, it's just not even close. And you look at the Angels' record, they're what, two or three games below 500? 72 and 74 entering today. Right. So you, you just go 500 against the AL West, and this team is in contention for the playoffs. Even with all the injuries and everything, it's, it's literally come down to how poorly they've played against the AL West. And like I said, I, it's, it's hard to pinpoint. I know against Oakland, they just can't hit, whether it be in Oakland or, or, or in Anaheim. Uh, and then Seattle's had their number this year, too. Texas is the only team they're, they're uh, doing well against. And even those games are contentious. It's not like the Angels are blowing them out or anything like that. And then Houston's Houston. I think, the, you know, they're always going to be really talented and there's going to be tough to beat. And it's a hard ask for the Angels to, to compete against that lineup and that rotation, uh, you know, consistently. So, but Oakland, Oakland has their weak spots and, and Seattle's still fairly young. I, I, you know, it's hard to say. It could be, it could be just be the familiarity of the matchups, but um, if they're going to have any success next year, I mean, that's, that's gotta be rectified immediately. They got to at least go 500 against, against the West. I think if you just, like you mentioned, it's gotta be rectified and it's gotta be rectified fast because if you go 500, you are in contention. And, And like I said, this isn't something that just happened this year. And I know 2020 was pandemic shortened season. So take it for what it is. But you could go back to 2019 and 2018, 2017. This has been a recurring trend for, I'm going to say, at least five-plus seasons now. It still hasn't been rectified. You know, we've had our struggles against Houston. Maybe back in 2017, we were okay against Oakland, but we struggled against Texas. But now it's kind of flipped. So there's always at least two teams we're really struggling against, and then the other two are just 500 or a game below 500. So I agree. It's got to be rectified fast by this organization. And going, coming against Oakland, I, I mean, you just got to find a way to hit them. Um, small ball uh, is – I think Madden has that approach to games, and I really think that's that's when the Angels are at their best is the, the death by a thousand cuts where you're just getting on base and moving moving the, the carousel, I guess. But uh, I know Seattle has been really clutch in, in late innings, and the Angels early on in the season were not, uh, if, especially if they couldn't get to Rysel. Um, so – and, and, and in a lot of ways, Seattle is similar. <laughs> Seattle is very similar to the Angels in, in, in one-run games. And um, uh, I, I don't know. I know the Angels have a better offense statistically. But uh, it, it's just going out there and performing in the clutch situations. And these games are tight. It's not like it's not like Oakland and Seattle are blowing us out. Uh, but, you know, the two teams, the diff- you know, when it comes down to the end of the day, is the two teams – those two teams, Oakland and Seattle, they perform when it matters most and the angels just can't get over the hump. Yeah. And I think, you know, to a, to a greater degree, it's just something that's sticking with them and it's causing problems pitching wise, hitting wise, and you just kind of get into a funk and you can correlate that funk with the struggles with the AOS. And this is the big topic we want to discuss today. The funk about all the injuries that have compiled for the angels this year, not only with big name players, but I think the topic in that injury category that we really want to get to is I don't want to say misinformation of data, but how one minute a player's close to returning. And then right after he's done for the season, we've had a lot of that this year. We have 
Mike Trout, of course, the calf. He might be back at the All-Star break, and now he's pretty much done for the season. Same thing yeah. with Anthony Rendon. Oh, it's a hamstring. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's hip surgery. He's done. Now we're getting that with Joe Adele. And, and that's, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg with this team this year. How can you quantify what's going on with this injury? I don't even know what to call it. Injury, fill in the blank fans. I don't know. I don't know. How would you bug bug is probably too lenient. Um, When you just look at how many guys just wind up on the IL every, every week, it seems, I don't know how you quantify it. Um, There's a problem. And, 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 it's hard to put like Adele into this conversation because we saw his injury. We saw it was, it looked rough at the time. Uh, I understand, you know, coming back just because of the lack of rehab assignment availability is, is most likely why he, why he won't return. Um, but that doesn't excuse like what happened with trout earlier in the season. Uh, Upton's continually hurt. I know Rendon's situation. It seemed like he was playing with injury and just got worse and worse and worse. It's hard to say it's bad luck when happened. I mean, it, it could very well just be the bad luck and the curse of the franchise or however, however you want to go about it and just guys getting hurt all the time. Um, you could put the onus on on the medical staff. There's a lot to really dive into here that we just don't know the information about. And frankly, I'm I'm worried to find about, you know, find more information about this. This could be nothing. This could be everything. It's just really, really tough to look into and examine from an outside perspective, just because we don't know what's going on in the daily operations of the medical staff and the rehabilitation. Trout's injury, if it was as severe as we now know it to be, why wasn't it immediately diagnosed? Why, why, it seems like Joe Matt, the the thing here is I I don't want to get in, get on Madden's case. Um, I know he's giving us the information that he thinks he has. I don't, Feel like he's lying to anyone i think he's probably just as frustrated and confused as everyone else but why is he in that position why is the team putting him in that position to go out in the press conferences and say oh we think adele's gonna be back tonight when it's obviously more severe than that and it's happened to him so many times this season is as you know for, forget the press and everything as fans i think we deserve a little bit more transparency especially in the state of the franchise and we're just not getting it yeah, I agree. And, and for me, I feel there's a couple of factors that go into it. I think it's A, you know, as fans, we're only seeing half of it. We only see what comes out in the press. We don't know, you know, what Trout's doing on a daily basis, what goes right. through in those conversations behind closed doors. So we're taking this from the perspective as a fan, what comes up on Twitter, what's being said on the broadcast. So take that partially for a grain of salt. Part right. number two Joe Madden, I feel internally is an internal optimist. And I think, yes, we know Trout's down with the calf injury, but we, you know, everybody in their head, we want Trout back. We want Rendon back. So I think there's that optimism and still getting that glimmer of hope. Um, But in return for that, I call it quote unquote, Joe Madden's kiss of death. When he says you're fine, but you know, a couple weeks later, it's just not going to end well. It's almost like it's like a, a curse type situation. Yeah, I, that's a good way of putting it. I think it's the kiss of death because it's like he's yeah. saying, oh, Trout will be back. And now we find out he's not. So it's almost like as soon as Joe Madden utters your name, you're going you're on warning here. And it, and, it, and it's nothing against Joe Madden. I think it's just kind of a coincidence in that sense that the pieces kind yeah. of fell together yes. in that sense. So, you know, 
Joe Madden, if you ever listen to this, we do not fault you for any injuries that are happening on the Angels right now. No, not at all. But I think another thing that I read about in talking about Joe Adele's injury when he crashed into the wall in Houston and, you know, A for effort, but ow, that's going to that's gonna be a little painful yeah. the next time you wake yes. up. But I think it's the, in, in injuries like that, that could be day-to-day, maybe not get you on the aisle for a short period of time. The Angels, I think, or teams don't want to say full out, oh, he's going to be out because I think they want to keep the next team that they're playing guessing if they're going to be in the lineup and kind of, sure. oh, we got to prep for, you know, the White Sox, we're going to make them prep for Adele and then guess the what? The gamesmanship of it all, yeah, for sure. I think it's like that chess match. So I think that goes into it too. I'm not saying it's the whole part of it, but I think there's just little pieces that add up. I think a big portion of it is bad luck and coincidence, but we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And I think that's where the bulk of the information would come. And none of us are privy to that information. The angels are going to keep that tight lip. So we can only go with what we go with. Right. So, you know, the angels, there has been a disconnect in the injury reports this year and, you know, it hasn't gone in our favor. Uh, Again, Trout, Upton, Rendon, three key guys on your payroll out for a good chunk of the year. We've already mentioned in the last episode and, Angel fans know Albert Pujols playing for the Dodgers, money on your payroll, not playing for you. There's a, at least the top six or seven Angel players on the payroll have played very limited this season. I know that is frustrating to Angel fans as well. You're, yeah. you're playing with a quad, I call it a quadruple A team. They're not triple A. Yeah. They're not like good- Mike Trout, Shohei Otani level status, but they're just like the role. It's basically the Angels role players that are getting it done. David Fletcher. And Shohei Otani have been the two consistent points of the Angels lineup this season. To an extent, yeah. To an extent. You know, they've been there since opening day to now. I know Gosling came in in May, and a couple other guys have filtered in throughout. But on a consistent basis, money-wise on your payroll, Otani and Fletcher have been your mainstays this season. And talking about Shohei Otani, and this is another big conversation that's coming up, we're getting towards the end of the year and in just about – two months or so uh baseball awards come out we've been talking about all season Shohei Otani is the perennial MVP candidate he is favored at least to most fans of baseball most writers of America you would think not just because he hits so well but he pitches so well and I know there's stiff competition from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I feel that is who Otani is truly battling against I know there's some other great guys in the American League, like Marcus Simeon and some pitchers as well. Sal Perez is having a heck of a season, too. Sal, Sal Perez just hit 45 home runs yesterday afternoon, yes, which is the most of an AL catcher ever in Major League Baseball history. So I know he's a royal, but tip of the cap to Salvador Perez. But let's kind of give a recap of Shohei Otani, at least recently. He was originally penciled in to start tonight, Friday, September 17th, against Oakland. He's getting pushed back to a date possibly to be decided due to general soreness of his body. Okay, we get that. He's worked. He's been a workhorse all year, pitching, hitting, not really getting many days off, especially with all the injuries to the Angels. He's needed to be in that lineup to be a thump in the order. So we get general soreness. We all live day to day. So Shohei Otani, get in the ice bath. Number two, Joe Mann did say because of recent slumps, he might get some days off upcoming now that could be on the homestand or maybe once the angels are officially eliminated from playoff contention quote unquote 
he might get some extra days off. So that's some news about Otani. Now you get into the numbers of it all. And before we get into the first half, second half splits, what do you think about his general soreness and the, the recent slump and the potential off days Otani could be getting here the last two weeks of the season? You and I talked about this during the last podcast. It's really not surprising. Uh, it's a long season and he's doing everything and something that no one's done before. So the fact that he's slumping now, that he's showing fatigue, that he's sore, um, he's human. It's, this is what we probably expected to happen at the end of the season. It would have been incredibly amazing if, if he were still, you know, hitting bombs every night and uh, going seven innings with a scoreless baseball. That would have been crazy and just unreasonable, really. Uh, what he's done so far is amazing in itself, but he's human. His body's going to start falling apart, especially now. Uh, I think the off days are earned by him. I know he probably doesn't want them, but the, the guy needs a rest. He's worked his butt off all season. He's been great. And, you know, I know he's been slumping uh, last 15 games. I know he's hitting 173, but he's picked it up lately. He's moved up to, to 273 in the last seven. And his on base is going up and he's sort of getting it back together again. So he's, he's slowly getting out of that slump. But the fact that he's in a slump shouldn't surprise anyone. And it has nothing to, it has most, most to do with fatigue, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Because you've seen a lot of his swings lately, as you mentioned, batting below 200 in his last 15 games. There's some pitches, fastballs down the middle of the plate that he is just fanning on, wide stance, almost like what we saw last year from him when his batting was so off. So I think when you fatigue, you kind of get set in your ways and you think, I'm strong enough, I can hit it, I can flick it, and you kind of forget your mechanics a little bit. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. But hey, if you're telling me yesterday afternoon's game against the Chicago White Sox, before the game, Joe Madden says, oh yeah, he's not pitching due to general soreness. Oh, but he's in the game today, he's going to... He's going to leg out an infield single. He's going to run around the base. He's going to get hit by a pitch, still run around, and do it with a smile on his face and laughing with Gavin Sheets at first base after getting plunked in the leg. Right. Yeah. Like that's if that's general soreness, I want the medicine because if I'm having, <laughs> if I'm sore after a workout or something, I'm like on the couch in bed watching TV and saying, I'm done for the next like six to eight hours. Otani's out there working his butt off, running around the bases and still trying to do something for the team and hallelujah, the angels pick up the win. I'm not saying he's responsible for it all, but he contributed to a positive day on the field. So that's incredible within itself. But as you mentioned, first half stats, second half stats. And I think this might paint the picture of the MVP a little bit. First half, 84 games, a 279 average. He crushes 33 home runs, 70 runs batted in 19 doubles and had an OPS of 1062. Fabulous all-star started the game on the mound. Great first half for Otani. Second half, though, a little different story. 55 games. His average has dropped to 219 in that time. Only 11 home runs, 24 runs batted in, only six doubles, and an OPS of 788. So significant drops on all fronts. The only thing that's pretty much stayed stagnant is the amount of games he's played pretty much. Right. We get it, soreness. He was hot at the beginning of the year. He has dipped off a little bit. And his pitching numbers, yes, he took a loss against Houston, but he's still 9-2 and two overall this season. Yeah, His, his ERA is 3.36. His strikeouts are great. His innings pitched has been great. And his whip is still low. So at least on the offensive side of things, because 
Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who in perspective, a 317 average, 45 home runs, 103 runs batted in, and a 1017 OPS. Offense to offense, why is Otani still favored for MVP? Or maybe as his stock dipped a little bit, he's still in the lead, but maybe not as much to Guerrero Jr. I, I'd probably go with the latter. Uh, I don't, I'd, I'd actually be surprised if he wins unanimously at this point. Um, here's the thing about Otani. Realistically, he's like a 260, 270 hitter. Uh, that's, that's most you're going to expect from him. He is going to be a streaky hitter probably for the rest of his career unless he makes some major changes. He's got that, the, the big whiff problem. You know, when he's on, he's going to be really on, like he was for the first half of the season. We were waiting for him to cool down, and he just didn't. And now we're kind of experiencing the other half of that. And so that's just who Shohei Otani is right now. He's just, he's just a streaky hitter. So you're not going to hit – you're not going to – he's going to have these long slumps, even in MVP-type seasons. Um, but to answer your question, yeah, it – if, if we, the whole thing with the MVP debate, if this was solely offensive uh, evaluation, Guerrero Jr. is a better hitter. He just, he just is. But Otani does do both. And he, he does it better than anyone ever has. And that has to be put into consideration and why I think he's going to win the MVP is because he does go out there and, and produce at an elite level at the plate. And then, you know, comes out the next day and, you know, gives up, like one hit and six innings or whatever, but that's, that's what it comes down to is, is when we're looking at this MVP award, it has to be a combination. It has to, it has to evaluate all aspects. There's a chance Vlad Guerrero may win the triple crown. He's definitely, you know, knocking on the door, but you know, when we're looking at Tani, you know, he's done something that's never been done before and, and triple crown has been, has been won. And I, I saw, um, it may have been, Jeff Passan, I'm not, I'm not sure who it was, but they said, uh, you, you, someone made the argument, well, if, uh, if, if Otani's playing every year and he's doing something similar to this every year, you have to give him the award everywhere, every year. And th that's kind of the idea. Yeah, you do. If he's producing at this level every single year, he is the most valuable player. Look how, you know, it's, it's scary to imagine where the Angels would be without Otani this season with all the injuries and everything. And that's what we're evaluating. The most valuable player, Otani gives you so much in almost every single aspect of the game. And so it transcends what the two are doing on offense solely and more about how they're contributing to the game of baseball, to their team. And, and just what, you know, what the overall narrative, I guess is. Yeah. And I think this is where the MVP voting and maybe even, you know, AL Cy Young rookie of the year, and maybe even man, well, maybe not manager because managers got to lead the team, but at least in the player right. categories, especially for MVP, I think this is where voters and potentially fans get their lines a little bit blurred. Everybody thinks an, a, an MVP has to be on a winning team. That's what everybody thinks is the case. This is what MVP award in Major League Baseball means to me. Whoever the MVP is, you can pluck them off any team, regardless if they're the worst in the league or the best in the league, and they could go to the best team in the league and make that team even better than they already yes. are. So let's say Shohei Otani was on the Baltimore Orioles, who are the worst team in baseball right now. And he was having a season, same stats, same everything. He's on the O's. Maybe people are saying MVP caliber season because of his stats, but they're like, oh, but he's on a team that hasn't even won 50 games yet this year. He's not an MVP candidate. You can't blame a single individual 
for the team. And I know we've talked about this before and everybody's talked about it with Mike Trout. Oh, he hasn't been to the playoffs. He isn't winning a ring. Well, Trout's still performing at a high level every single year, but there's only one Mike Trout. There is not 27 Trout. Hitting what, four times a game? That's it. Yeah, you, you can only do with what you have in front of you. And I think that's where the MVP award is because Shohei Otani hits, hits well. You know, he hit, he's a streaky hitter, but he does hit well and he hits for power. But then he pitches. If you ask every single manager and coach from every team in Major League Baseball, and let's throw them in the minor leagues as well. Let's, let's go over 200 teams. Every single manager would take a hitter and a pitcher in one that's doing this and put them in their lineup ASAP. Without question. Without question. And, and, and I think even more to Otani's benefit this season is he's playing, he is playing every day. Like you mentioned, he doesn't get days off. And that, you know, you know, his rookie of the year season, he was, he was, you know, not playing like two or three times a week. And now he's playing every single day. So he's contributing to the team every single day. And even if he's not hitting, he's still stealing bases. He's making smart decisions out there. He's a, he's a, he's a very smart baseball player. He's finding ways to contribute even when he's not hitting or, and I, I can't even say he's not pitching because he's consistently been very good on the mound all season aside from two starts. So the guy's consistently out there every single day being a net positive. And that isn't that what the MVP should be. The MVP is a singular player in their achievements. And I think again, people get messed up by, Oh, this player is not on a winning. He's not, a on a winning team and B he's not the leader of his team and taking everybody again. He is one player, even though he does two things, he can't be Rysel when Rysel's not pitching. He can't be Walsh when Walsh is in a slump. You can't replicate Otani. Otani can't bat nine times in a row. It just can't happen. And I think the angels, I get it. They're on the West coast. They have notoriety in the league. No, they're not the Yankees, the Red Sox or the Dodgers, you know, the top three marketing teams, but this is still a team that has notoriety. And we've seen it before with Mike Trout winning numerous MVP awards. And, you know, he's competed against and gotten votes from the baseball writers of America the same year Miguel Cabrera won the triple crown, but still it's an incredible fact to me. It still blows my mind when people say, Otani or even back then Trout can't be the MVP because the Angels are not in the playoffs. Then let's make a separate, like do the MVP regular, like let's do a regular season award and a postseason award. Like if Agreed. that's what we're, like I feel that's where we're kind of getting into this area of not politically correct. Everybody gets a participation trophy award, but it's almost like there's so many subcategories for the main categories that everybody, every fan or every writer wants to plug every different player that's doing well in that moment then at that point let's have an mvp every week of the season and then yeah. whoever whoever has the most weekly mvp awards is your grand mvp at the end there of the you day. go there is so many options when it comes to that so i feel it's you got to narrow that scope and you have to be mindful of what otani's really doing on a daily basis and again nothing against vladimir guerrero jr i'm not saying oh Vladdy Jr., he's got to learn how to pitch this offseason if he ever wants to win an MVP. If, if Otani wasn't playing, Vlad's clear favorite for MVP. And any other year, he'd be your MVP. Yeah, and I think the one thing that you mentioned previously was Otani really hasn't had days off. And I know I mentioned this in the last podcast. I think if Trout, Rendon, and Upton were healthy, maybe if they were 
even if they weren't playing well at the same time, if the three names are in the lineup card, I think potentially every once in a while, either the day before or the day after Otani pitches, he would get that off day. Maybe not every single time, but at least every, just so he gets a refresher day. But because yeah. he's being relied upon in this lineup right now, that's consisting of him, Fletcher, Gosselin, Walsh, um, and then players like Ren Hifo and Stassi um, and so forth. And then you throw in Lagaris and Kian Wong and, you know, your name here from AAA comes into play. Um, Otani is the name in this lineup right now. And maybe pitchers aren't fearing him like they did back in the first half of the season, as you can tell by the split stats from first half to mm-hmm. second half. But I think if, you know, Trout, Rendon, and Upton and other players were healthy, you would see Otani maybe have, at this point, maybe five to 10 games less played than he has. But, you know, he could always pinch hit in those games too. So you never right. know. It's, 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 a, it's a very different way of thinking about it. And I think, again, we still have two weeks left in the year and a lot of things can happen. Look at the home run right now. It's between Guerrero, Jr., Otani, and now Salvador Perez has put himself in the running for home run crown. And I'm okay if it's not a unanimous decision. Again, if you sure. win, you win. So if you win by one vote, you win by one vote. I feel the only way for it to become unanimous, and this is, you know, it's not going to happen, bearing any crazy things that happen. If Otani does pitch again this year, he throws a perfect game and every inning mm-hmm. is an immaculate inning, or if he hits a home run every at bat the rest of the season. I feel that's the only way that it's going to be a lock because I feel you have people that are going to be the Nate. There's always the naysayers that are going to say, right. there's a lot still to divulge in the last two weeks with Shohei Otani. And even though he's on a cold streak right now and he's slowly picking himself back up slowly, but surely there has been one guy on this angels that has been white hot. And it's Jared Walsh. White hot Walsh is back again, the September edition. He did it in 2020. He's doing it again. And I know June and July or July and August were not very favorable months for Jared Walsh. He struggled a lot at the plate. Uh, He had some time off here and there. He was on the injured list a little bit and he had to work his way back up. But the last homestand of August, when the Padres and Yankees were in town, you started seeing him turn the corner and then to begin September, and now on this recent road trip, he's come on hot. So September of 2021, 359 average, two home runs, six RBIs, four doubles. He's had 10 hits in 11 games and has had four multi-hit games. And he had a nine-game hitting streak before he went 0 for 3 in the second game of the three-game series against the White Sox. So before I compare his stats to 2020, Somehow Walsh has turned this thing around in September. What is it about September that Walsh says, it's my coming out party, I'm going to lead the charge, and I'm going to lead the team to some glorified wins? Still a young guy, so I think a lot of it is just repetition. I mean, that's what baseball is. It's getting your timing down, and he finally gets it down, and the guy's you know got a ton of talent, so he's just going to rake. And I think that's what we're seeing this year and what we saw last year is once, once he gets his footing in, the rest of the league has to be put on notice. You know, I think he's looking more comfortable at the plate too. I know in the road trip in August, when they went to Detroit, Cleveland, and Baltimore, you saw him patient at the plate than he had been in in about a month or so. You saw him take a four-walk game against the Detroit Tigers, which you don't see. Walsh gets a walk or two here and there, but three-plus walks a game, that's rare for him. So for him to be a patient batter, and he's taken that approach now into September – has been a good thing. And as speaking of September, let's take a look at September of 2020. 
337 average, nine home runs, 26 runs batted in. He had a 14-game hitting streak in that month, and he also had nine multi-hit games. And at that point, a lot of people were saying in 2020, if September of 2020 was the whole 60-game season for Walsh, he may have been the AL Rookie of the Year. Right. He has that ability in his bat. And I think I agree with you. It's repetition for a young kid who was a 39th round pick almost was a two way player. He pitched a little bit in 2019, but that got over quick when Shohei Otani said, okay, I'm healthy again. I'll take the reins here, Jared Walsh. Um, But Jared Walsh is just a steady batter. And we mentioned it last time in the podcast and we'll mention it briefly here. This is why Walsh is in an angels uniform and why Albert's in a Dodger uniform. Thanks, Dodgers, for taking pools. Thanks, Dodgers. And I'm not saying Walsh is automatically a Hall of Fame caliber player. And no. I'm not taking any, and we're not taking anything away from pool halls either. It's no, just, I'm just being a you know smart aleck. It's it's just what it is. And and I love it. You know, it's it, you, you know, thanks, Dodgers. You know, now we get to really see what Jared Walsh has on a consistent basis as being the guy at first base. It, re- it really did work out for everyone involved. And I'm gonna keep being that beating that home. It's you know. Letting Walsh have all this playing time has been so good for, for the Angels in, in many aspects. One, you get his bat in the lineup, clear, clear and simple. Second, we're developing the first baseman of the future, which has been a question mark since Pujols, you know, since maybe the fifth year of Pujols' tenure with the Angels is, all right, what are we going to do when he's gone? Because we, ha- we hadn't really been grooming anyone besides maybe like Matt Dice at first base. And Walsh has stepped up and said, I can be that guy. And who knows if he would have got that opportunity if Pujols was still taking ABs right now. No, and I think maybe if, and this could bring back the conversation about Shohei Otani, if Albert Pujols was still here, maybe Shohei Otani would get some extra days off and Walsh would be at first and Pujols would be DHing and Walsh would still be getting reps at first. But it wouldn't be on an everyday occasion like we're seeing now. You know, on the rare occasion, Phil Gosselin's going over to first and Jared Walsh has his one day off a week, or if it's against a right. lefty pitcher or something, of course, everybody needs a retool day. And, and that, that's, that's the game of baseball in 162 game marathon, but to see Jared Walsh now taking the reins, the angels for years, Matt Theis is going to be the guy. No, not really. Taylor Ward. Eh, not really. After, you know, who was going to be Albert Pujols once Albert Pujols was done. Angels didn't know, oh, we'll probably go sign another first baseman. We'll go sign Freddie Freeman, or we'll go sign, you know, fill in the next free agent that was going to be at the top of the market at first base. Jared Walsh, like I said, 39th round pick, goes through the minors, does his thing, keeps his head down, and works, and works, and works, and works. And now he's paid metaphorically, maybe not, you know, physically yet, but he's getting paid metaphorically by the Angels front office saying, we believe in you, we love what we see, I like him in the clubhouse as well. He's a very upbeat personality when he does post-game yeah. interviews and talks with Gubaza or Jose Moda or anything that he does. He's always casual, carefree, has a smile on his face. And I think that speaks volumes because Mike Trout's like that. David Fletcher's like that. Come on, Shohei Otani's like that. He's bowing to visiting, you know, opposing Joe players. Joe Adele. S- say what you want about this team. They play loose and they're definitely having fun, which is all you can ask of ask of them right now all things considered and I think to say it simply and it's tough to say based on who's on the team and what the angels have gone through and what fans have gone through watching this team 
I think we're still in a bubble of growing pains. It's, mm-hmm. It sounds weird to think of it because you're like, Trout's a veteran, Rendon's a veteran. All these things are, you know, Joe Madden's a veteran manager. But I think it's still growing pains because you're mixing in veteran angels with the new angels, the old Billy Epler regime to now the new Perry Manassian regime. I think there's so much change in the organization. Again, 2020 was a wash year because of COVID. So the first year of things getting back to normal in baseball with the minor league system and utilizing that in a much, much different way. I think in 2020, we might not have seen Reed Detmers. We might not have seen Jansen Junk and maybe Cooper Criswell making a debut or a lot of these guys making debuts. They had four years in the minors that really helped them be prepared for a September, August call-up or whenever they needed to be there. We're entering a new era of Angels baseball, new decade, new era. And I think not to get too deep into it, I know we'll have podcasts about this in the future once we get to the offseason. This is the offseason. Perry Manassian makes his mark on the team. I, that, that's yeah. my opinion. You and I are in total agreement of that. This is it. I mean, the youth movement has really started now. We know what the outfield of the future could look like. You know, the infield starting to get settled in and we the, the holes that are needed to be feel, filled this offseason, they're glaring. I mean, the team knows what needs to be done. Now go do it. And I think to, to the last point here before we wrap up the podcast for today is going into next season, once Manassian makes his mark and makes his moves and we get pitching, bullpen and starting, or we develop the young core and we please stay healthy, my gosh. Whatever combination, I think there is no more, potentially there's no more excuses like, oh, this happened a bit. We've been saying this for a couple of you know years now, ever since the 2014 AL West Division Championship. There is no more excuses. Trout's not getting any younger. Rendon's not getting any younger. Everybody's not getting younger. And it's a win now mentality. And I know the Angels have not blown it up into a full rebuild mode, but they haven't gone into full buy, 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 just buy a championship mode. So this is it. I feel this is, this is the, the, the window for the Angels. It's, it's there in plain sight. No, it's not completely narrowing yet. This I, this, I think, is the time where maybe the clock starts ticking and the Angels are maybe not in a full blown out win now or go home mode, but making the playoffs, making strides against the AL West. It's baby steps on steroids. You got to make those benchmarks in the future. You got to be at least a wild card next year. I think. I th- I think that's the next step. This team has the talent. I mean, look at them right now. They're they're shot, and they're only two games out of five hundred, missing the you know the greatest player of our generation, and Otani on a huge slump, and a bunch of kids pitching the rotation, and they're still like they're not a necessarily bad team. They're very average right now. But imagine if they're healthy and consistent. And, and Bundy and Quintana aren't getting a little start to start off the year. This team, as it was constructed this year, was built to contend. Maybe not win a championship, but contend for at least a playoff spot. And so, like you said, health, 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 health. That's what next season comes down to, in addition to whatever moves they make. But the, te- the pieces are there, and I can't stress that enough. They have the roster there, and, 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 and it's going to be only added to if anything, this offseason. So I think, like you said, the window starts, you know, n- November. Get Hit the ground running and, and gear up for what could possibly be a really great two or three years for the Angels coming up. 
if yeah. not more. Yeah. The, the, you know, when health is on your side, the sky's the limit. What's the best ability? Availability. And the Angels just haven't had that in recent years. I think if you get healthy, you clean up some games against the AL West, and you, you know, the Angels were great in one-run games this year, so you have that on your side. The Angels have a, con- a contending team. Wild card or division, however you want to look at it, the playoffs is the playoffs. It doesn't matter how you get in. But, you know, that'll be the, the conversation in the offseason going forward to sure. bring it back into the scope, to wrap things up here on the Hey, Let's Have a Podcast. Three against Oakland, four against Houston, three against Seattle. Uh, right now, TBD starter tonight as of right now. It could be a bullpen day. You got Suarez on Saturday, Berea on Sunday. David, overall, 10-game final at home. Uh, predictions for the final homestand. I'm going to be a fan here. I think they're going to I think they're going to perform well. I think that they're going to start some good um, tendencies going against the AL West moving forward. And this this is a, a, a nice um, platform going into next year. I know the Angels historically love playing spoilers. So uh, maybe this is maybe this is the, the opportunity. We actually have a fun final two weeks here where, you know, we feel like we're rooting for a playoff environment and, and all that and uh, get get to get to be the bad guy for a couple of games here and there. So I, I think, I think they're going to perform well tonight will be <laughs> incredibly interesting to watch who knows what's going to happen, but it, it'll be, it'll be an interesting watch. I'll, I'll guarantee that much. Yeah, absolutely. I feel the angels, you know, as a fan, you want them to perform well. And I think with Oakland struggling right now and their need to win in order to be continuously in the AL wildcard chase, I feel Oakland will put the most pressure on the Angels. Houston's pretty much got the division locked up. I could see the Angels right. at a minimum splitting that series because they have fared better at home against Houston this year than on the road. Um, Seattle is a hot team. Um, it's kind of, you know, one year they're good, one year they're not. So out of three, if the Angels could win that series two of three. And I think, you know, you split Houston, you take two of three from Seattle. And Oakland, I say, give them a fight. The Angels have had tough times to maybe take one of three from Oakland. So pretty much four and, well, no, let's see, two, two, and one. So five and five. So if we stick to 500, it's a win for the Angels. Story of the season right there. Just the story of the season for the Angels, if it occurs in that way. But plain spoiler, you know, the one thing I hope happens, but at the same time doesn't hope happens, the Angels like rattle off like 14 in a row and then end the year one game out of a wild card spot. Then I'll just – I'd have to bang my head against the wall and say, we did this for one we game. give us now. a lot to talk about. I'll give you that. That'll give <laughs> us a lot to talk about. So if the Angels win, great. Do we want them to just miss the playoffs by one game? Oh, that would be bittersweet. That would suck. But it would mean it would mean probably keeping Seattle out of the playoffs, maybe even Oakland. So, you know, going over the division rivals, I'll take it. I think it'd be hilarious. I I, I would get a good laugh out of it. Plain spoiler is always a a hilarious thing. And I think in any sport, hockey, basketball, baseball, you love it. I think, you know, let's play spoiler. Angels play spoiler. The the final 16 plus games. um, We'll see what happens again. Oakland for three, Houston for four, Seattle for three. The final 10 home uh, games for the Angels in 2021 before heading out on the road for six to end the year. Three in Texas, three in Seattle. And then the off season is upon us. But for right now, that is the second episode of the Halo's Heaven podcast, the reboot edition and two episodes in a row. Dominic Lorenz, David Goodkind here with you, hoping next time that either one of us are on the podcast or maybe somebody new 
We'll drop into the podcast next time around. We'll have some more Angels news and notes for you. But here on Friday, September the 17th, Angels 72 and 74, looking to hopefully be above 500 at the end of the 2021 season. But we will see what happens. But I'm Dominic Lorenz. That's David Kudkind. Thank you for joining us here on the second episode of the Halo 7 podcast. And we'll see you guys very, very soon. Let's get that dub. <laughs>